You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is just two short weeks until the nation decides and according to the Times, we have already decided and in some numbers. Apparently this morning's newspapers make for more grim reading for Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party. This morning's YouGov poll, which canvassed more than 100,000 voters over a week gives the Conservatives a massive 359 seats, a huge majority of 68, which would have uh, make the way clear for Boris Johnson to do whatever he likes. It's bad news for the Lib Dems as well, who are projected to get just 30 seats. That's only one more than they got the last time. And if the predictions are correct, we will definitely be out of the European Union by the end of January, if not before. Coming up, we'll be discussing how the campaign is now turning decidedly nasty and personal uh, with Shadow International Trade Minister Barry Gardner. Uh, But we want to hear from you as well, because yours are the voices that count, and the votes that count, of course, as well, come December the 12th. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up later on, we'll be asking why geography students are being described as not very bright, posh, sixth form and we'll be discussing why anti-Semitism and Islamophobia have become such a big issue in this election with Dr. Ricky Bissan uh, from the Henry Jackson Society. But don't forget, as I said, we want to hear from you as well because your voices are the ones that count right here on Talk Radio because we are your election station. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Started with a schoolgirl who was running, running home to her mom and dad. Told him she was playing in the change room of the lock of. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 0344-499-1000. Pretty miserable reading for the Labour Party this morning on the front page of the Times. Johnson heads for big majority. We'll see uh, whether that comes to pass. Uh, a little bit earlier on, I spoke to Barry Gardner, who is, of course, Shadow International Trade Secretary uh, and candidate for the Labour Party for Brent North. Uh, I did ask him whether this poll was actually bad news for the Tories. I certainly hope they do. 
but of course, what I want is uh, I want it to galvanise our people. We've got everything to play for. In all of the uh, recent weeks, what's happened is the poll margins have narrowed as we've caught up the Tories and we've got two weeks now to overtake them. That's what I want to see on December the 12th and I'm confident we can do it. Now, you're uh, announcing today plans for 10 new national parks in England and I'm looking at the uh, the briefing document in which you're talking about uh, restocking the land, basically, with all sorts of things like hedgehogs and uh, and otters and all the rest of it. I suppose you'd be wishing that they had the vote, wouldn't you? Well, look, <laughs> what I think everybody wishes is that their children can grow up still being able to see otters and hedgehogs. And and the tragedy is that we're losing species in this country uh, at such a dreadful rate. So it really does need something dramatic. And what we've proposed today, this investment in new national parks and in the, the, the two billion new trees that we're proposing to be planted by 2040, uh, that is a huge boost to our natural environment this plan for nature that we have. And of course, it's not only about wildlife and species, it's actually also about combating climate change uh, because this will enable us to reduce our carbon emissions. Um, I think if you look at uh, what we're proposing, it, it would actually uh, store up to about 47 million tonnes of CO2 each year by 2050. Uh, that's more than Finland produces in an entire year. So it's, it's really important that we take the natural environment seriously for the climate change policies, but also, I think, because these are really special places for, for people in this country. It's where they want their children to be able to relax and enjoy the natural environment and learn what, you know, the wider world looks like rather than just the insides of a city. And it's very important for the economy of our rural communities where national parks and the tourism that they generate provide so many jobs for the local economy. Now, you're going to plant two billion trees, which is a massive number. It says you're going to do it by 2040, which is like 21 years away. So there's an awful lot of tree planting. What about where these actual uh, national parks are going to be? Have you identified where they're going to be set up? Well, of course, the, we've we've got candidates, as it were, um, because we need to discuss this fully with uh, local people, and uh, because they they need to to really see the benefits coming to them uh, from these new national parks. But we've looked at areas that are already uh, spectacular areas of natural beauty in our country. You you take the Malvern Hills or, or the Chilterns, uh, the the Lincolnshire Wolds or or, or, or the North Pennines. The, these are already iconic. Uh, landscapes and what we want to do is we want to ensure uh, that where there is at the moment environmental degradation we want to see how we can restore that and improve that uh, and make sure that these places really are as beautiful as they can possibly be and and that I think is something that local people will see the benefits of in the jobs that we create through that tree planting, through that uh, work that will go on to remediate the national, natural environment now, yesterday you were involved in uh, a big announcement with Jeremy Corbyn about the NHS, a document, a 451-page document, uh, which mentions the NHS only four times. You got a little bit tetchy yourself with one of the questioners who asked if uh, uh, you wanted to apologise for the anti-Semitism thing. Is the campaign starting to turn a bit nasty? No, no, look, the, the, the campaign's not turning, well, certainly not as far as I'm concerned, the campaign's not turning nasty. Um, the, the question that you talk about um, had already been asked, that was the first point, uh, and also the question 
Gardner didn't uh, talk about what was the issue that the press conference was on. I was simply chairing the press conference. And of course, it was my job to try and make sure that we kept on track and, and answered all the questions about the way in which the uh, the government in this 451 pages is seen to be selling our NHS down the river. Because all of these... But it's uh, not, is it? I mean, nobody's really buying that, I don't think. Oh, no, I think they are. I think anybody who reads these documents can be under no doubt uh, that what's happened here is they're talking about, for example, drug pricing. Uh, now, it, it, this is something that the Prime Minister and Matt Hancock said, no, absolutely not. We're not discussing drug pricing at all. We're not discussing uh, patents. Yet here it is in the document. But this is it's from Theresa May's time in, in charge from two years ago. So no, no, maybe so, he's telling no, the truth. No, I'm sorry. It's, it, it's not the latest ones were simply in, in July this year. Right, but I mean that's still a long time ago in terms of a Tory government because Boris Johnson was only just in coming in as, as as prime minister. It seems to me, uh, and I don't blame you for doing it, uh, but it seems to me it's a bit like saying Manchester City uh, haven't ruled out selling uh, Raheem Sterling because they haven't actually issued a statement saying that they're not selling him. Well, I I think if you look at what uh, this government has been doing, um, and all the direction in which it has gone. We have seen privatisation in our health service under this government already double. Uh, that's an increase of nine billion in the services that are being taken out for private profit. And, and what these documents show is that there's a very advanced stage discussions have gone on, which they denied were taking place, remember. And, you know, one might feel more secure if the government had said, yes, these discussions are taking place, but but there's no question of us ever doing what the Americans want. But in fact, what they did was they denied these discussions. Were well, they, they, place, they've denied then, discussions have been taking place to sell off the NHS. They have, in fact, admitted that they were taking place in terms of talking about pharmaceuticals being no, sold because no, no, Boris no, Johnson said that in the House of Commons. Look, can, can, can I be clear? Um, you know, the the government have denied that these discussions are taking place. And, and when you say sell off the NHS, the NHS is not a building that you can sell. What it is, is it's a series of services. And what these documents show is that every one of those services is now up for attack by big American corporations. And, and that's how you undermine the NHS. That's how you destroy it. You destroy it from within. But everybody, everybody in every single election, has always told us that the Tories are going to destroy the NHS and the Tories have been in charge of the NHS for more uh, times in terms of years than the Labour Party have and they've never destroyed the NHS. So why would they suddenly want to destroy the NHS and why would anybody from America Mike, uh, want to buy the NHS? Mike, Mike, you say that they haven't destroyed the NHS. Um, let's look at the difference between the NHS today and the NHS under a Labour government in 2010. We've now got four million people who are waiting longer than 18 weeks for We've got a lot uh, more people in the country than we've we had got, in 2010. We've got operations that are being cancelled at the last minute. The government targets on A&E waits, waiting more than four hours in A&E, are now three million. They used to be less than 300,000. Um, you say that they're not destroying the NHS. The facts are that the NHS is absolutely being starved of cash and part of the way in which it will be starved even further... It's got £150 billion paying, pounds going into it. 
every year, is Barry. By paying, is by paying, yes, but you know, Mike, that that's not what is required. We have an ageing population, we have an increasing population, and the money that is needed in the NHS is simply not there. Yes, but it's not quite right government. to say it's being starved of money. But well, I know you is. haven't got... No, of course it is, because it's being starved of what it's an awful it lot needs. of money to starve people with, isn't it? It's being starved of what it's needed in order to provide services, even to the standard that the government accepts it should be. It is not being properly funded. And people recognise that. And what they see in these documents is a government that has lied about the discussions that are taking place and a government that is prepared to do a deal with the Americans that would enable big American drug companies and healthcare companies to come in and attack services that we provide in the NHS to take profit out there. Trump and Lighthizer, his trade representative, have both said that they want Britain to pay more for drugs so that they in America can pay less. We in the Labour Party will not allow that to Well, happen. it's a drop in the ocean, isn't it? But listen, I know we haven't got an awful lot of time. $27 billion is not a drop in the it's ocean. It's a drop in the ocean as far as the American drug market is concerned, that's if you'd let me finish Hill the sentence. Well, I sorry, I thought you had to finish the sentence. <laughs> Listen, but... let me ask you one final thing, because uh, I know time is short. Boris Johnson uh, has been uh, accused by the Labour Party press office today uh, of being uh, sexist and misogynist. Uh, you, you've, you've, you've put somebody to work and, and dug out a lot of his old articles in The Spectator. Is that not playing the man rather than the ball? Look, I, I, I don't believe that, um, you know, politics should be personalised. Well, this is very personalised. I'm just saying, it's not the way I like to do things. I like to focus on policies. Um, You know, there's been a lot of playing the man, uh, not only on Boris Johnson, but also on Jeremy Corbyn. I think you'd agree. Um, And, you know, I'm... Well, he never seems to get criticised for his personal life, Jeremy Corbyn, does he? I'm sorry. I think if you look at who has been more attacked and vilified... uh, uh, personally in the press. It's probably Jeremy Corbyn. But the point I wanted to make to you um, is that I I believe that we should focus in politics on policies. I don't believe that it should be on personalities, but I do believe that if people lie, right, and we have a prime minister... This is about his opinions. This is about his opinions written in in spectator columns. It's not about whether he's told the truth or not. It's about somebody having opinions. He's being accused by Shami Chakrabarti, a senior member of your party... Uh, of being a, a sexist and a misogynist on the basis of what he's written about. Well, if he's written things which are disparaging of women, I think it's perfectly right to call him out on that. Because as Prime Minister of the country, if you are making sexist remarks or if you're calling uh, you know, people of different faiths pillar boxes and Well, so you, we on, know that that's the, all been taken yeah, out of but, context, don't we? Uh, no, I, look, the point is this. It is totally inappropriate language for a prime minister to be using either about women or about religious These are minorities. things that he wrote when he wasn't prime minister. That's not the point. Oh, really? They, do, they, 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 they show what his true feelings are. Mm. They show the way in which he regards people. Now, as I say, I would much rather focus on policies. I think it's Maybe you should tell the press office um, that. Well, 
um, you know, <laughs> my 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 role here is to come and talk to you about the policies that we have to improve our schools, to make sure that they're properly funded, to make sure that we have a decent social care system for our elderly, which we don't have, which the Tories... Uh, you will remember Boris Johnson on the steps of Downing Street when he uh, was uh, given the, the, the premiership by the Conservative Party. Um, he said he had a plan for social care, but... It's not there. There's nothing in this manifesto about it. I think people have to look at what this man has said and then what he's done. And the fact is that he doesn't match up. That's why people don't trust him. Well, I mean, there's a lot of distrust in this election, I fear. But Barry Gardner, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Barry Gardner is, of course, standing for the Labour Party in Brent North. Amongst the other candidates, Angina Patel from the Conservative Party, Simon David Rebbitt from the Green Party, Noel Coonan from the Independent, uh, an Independent, Elsina Jeffers, Independent, Paul Lorber, Liberal Democrats, and Susie O'Brien from the Brexit Party. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we spoke to Barry Gardner in the last hour, who talks an awful lot about how he thought uh, it was much fairer uh, to attack people's policies rather than their personality. But I'm putting it out there to you that this is maybe turning into a bit of a nasty election. It might get even nastier before uh, it's over in a couple of weeks' time. Let's talk to Mark Francois and see what he makes of all of that. Mark, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, we're seeing uh, stories coming out from people like Ian Duncan Smith that uh, you know he's getting threats all the time from people uh, over in Essex where he's running. He's, uh, he's 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 been told that somebody's going to burn down his constituency office, and he's been getting death threats. We've now got the Labour Party having to go at Boris Johnson over his sexist and misogynist columns in the Spectator. How are you finding it out there, Mark, on the uh, on the campaign trail? Well, look, I mean, to, 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 to deal with IDS's situation first, I've been over there myself. I went to, uh, you know, to give him a hand uh, 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 the other week. Yeah. Um, I mean, what is going on, Mike, is that momentum in London are particularly focusing on Ian because he's a former Tory party leader yeah. and because he's been involved in, you know, benefit reform and things like universal credit. And, you know, they've got a right to go and deliver leaflets and knock on doors like anybody else. That's democracy. What they don't have a right to do is to threaten to burn down his office, you know, to attack it and, and, to, gra and to graffiti it. Mm. So you've got a particular situation there where some momentum activists are violent in nature or at least in inclination. And that's why, you know, IDS put some of this stuff on social media and it, and it went viral. Presumably, Momentum would deny that they're in any way involved in any of this, though, wouldn't they? Well, of course. Well, well, well you know, in the words of Mandy Rice Davis, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? <laughs> but, yes. But, but I'm not suggesting that, you know, the head of Momentum, that John Landsman has ordered this. I'm absolutely not suggesting that. But what I am saying is some people that are members of that movement almost certainly have been involved in this. And, you know, when Ian put some of this up on social media, some of the reaction he got was extremely aggressive, mm. you know, along the lines of, you know, you bloody well deserve it, mate, or, you know, far worse than that. So right. I'm not imagining these people that have been posting on his... Oh, no, I'm sure you're not. Media. But it is a very <laughs> toxic election at the moment, isn't it? I mean, it seems to me, uh, I put this to Barry Gardner as well, I mean, he sort of snapped yesterday at a journalist because she asked, a, he dared to ask a question that he didn't fancy answering. You know, there's a kind of, uh, there's a sort of atmosphere now uh, in almost all of these political gatherings where 
the, the, the plan seems to be pack it with, uh, you know, a rather Trump-like kind of audience so that everybody's cheering all the time and the journalists are kind of feeling, feeling the pain as well. Well, look, uh, Mike, you know, I've had occasions when, you know, I've not always been happy with what some journalists have asked me. But, you know, you, 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 uh, within reason, you take the rough with, you take the rough with the smooth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in terms of the overall atmosphere, well, the election certainly has taken place against a background of national frustration that, you know, despite a very clear decision in the referendum to leave, we haven't done so after more than three years. Why? Because a lot of Labour and Liberal MPs, and I'm sad to say a few former Conservatives as well, did everything they could for three years, pulled every parliamentary trick in the book to stop us leaving the European Union, to stop Brexit, despite the fact that everyone at the time of the referendum swore blind they would respect the result. So, yes, you have had an atmosphere of frustration, and that's why, in the end, the, the PM had no option but to call an election, you know, to kind of to, to lance the ball, to clear the logjam to mix metaphors so yes it has taken place against a background of a lot of people being wound up but that is no excuse to attack someone's constituency office regardless of what party they represent no exactly right and how are you finding it out there on the doorsteps is it um a, a, a land of frustration is it a land of hope is it a land of kind of um pessimism or optimism what are people saying to you well well look i know we're not allowed to mention individual seats because yeah. of electoral law so yes. i'll try and avoid that okay but you know i, I was up in the northeast uh, earlier this week because yeah. my former researcher is standing in a constituency and so i was up uh, there uh, and um I was out canvassing and, you know, Labour's was absolute traditional heartland. And the thing that I got again and again on as it, what you might call, quotes, Labour doorsteps, if yeah. you see what I mean, was people saying, I'm not going to vote for Corbyn. Right. They weren't saying, I'm not going to vote Labour, interestingly. They were saying, I'm not going to vote for Corbyn because, and I've had, by the way, exactly the same on lots of, um, doorsteps in Essex mm. and in multiple constituencies in Essex, by the way. So, um, you know, people in the North East, in, in many senses, have got a lot in common with my constituents in Essex. They're hardworking and patriotic. And for them, Corbyn is toxic. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, if this particular poll in the Times today is anywhere near correct, even if it's only half right, as I've said earlier, and, and the Tories end up with a 34-seat majority, uh, that would be probably better than, than any of you could have hoped, wouldn't it? Well, you know, the, the, the PM's case has been we need a Conservative majority, a clear majority, in order to get the bill through so that we can genuinely leave the... European Union. Now, you know, Churchill famously said one is enough, but, you know, people can fall ill or, or, you know, whatever. So, you know, you want a bit more than that. You don't really want the majority that turns up in a taxi. So, um, you know, we would obviously like to win with a good majority in order that we can finally, finally break the logjam. And I'm about one thing that will be important in this. Remember, this is one opinion poll and 
you know, I, I, this is my seventh general election, Mike. So, you know, you get different polls in the course of a campaign, although admittedly... Well, it's your third one in, in, in four years, isn't it, as well? Well, 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 absolutely. well, look, I knocked on one door and one bloke said to me, he said, for God's sake, don't do this again in a hurry. He said, it's your third election in four years. Right. He said, you know, he said, for goodness sake, you know, win this properly and don't make us do it again. And I said, well, you know, I'm doing my best. Well, it is a bit ironic, isn't it, that ever since we've had a fixed-term parliament, uh, we've had more elections than you can shake your stick at. Well, look, I mean, it, well, for, in the Tory manifesto, it says very clearly we're going to repeal that. Act. Yeah. It's clearly proven to be complete nonsense. But, look, I mean, one, one interesting thing about the poll that you mentioned is it does show that in quite a few seats, um, you know, in, in very traditional Labour seats, the Tory candidate is within striking distance of winning and the difference between winning and not winning is the number of people who said they're going to vote for the Brexit party. So in quite a few seats, particularly in the Midlands and the North, um, if those people who, who presumably want to vote, uh, want to leave the European Union because they're inclined to vote for the Brexit party, um, but who, according to this poll, aren't going to win, the, the poll says Brexit aren't going to win any seats yeah. at all. But if those people vote Brexit, that's their democratic right, the Tory in that seat might just miss. If they vote Tory, we could actually win a number of seats yeah. absolutely in Labour's backyard. And, uh, you know, I've, I've never met a Brexit party supporter that wanted a Marxist government. No, very much so. And I think the interesting thing as well about this poll is that it is quite a small margin of error as well. So two or three points one way or the other could make a massive difference. What about after the result is, 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 is arrived at? If indeed the Tories do have quite a decent majority, do you worry that there will be people, as we saw previously throughout the course of this year, doing absolutely anything they can do to stop it from happening? Well, look, <clears throat> um, all 635... Conservative candidates in this election, all of them have signed the pledge to support the Prime Minister's deal if elected. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I'm not the chief whip, but if I were, and any Tory who signed that pledge then gets into the House of Commons and says, Do you know what, I've slightly changed my mind, mm. I would come down on them like a ton of bricks because I would say, You stood on a manifesto that's perfectly plain that you want to support Brexit and leave the EU. You signed a pledge to say as much. I'm terribly sorry. If you didn't want to do it, you shouldn't have signed it. So I think you can pretty much guarantee that those Tory MPs who get elected are going to be supporting uh, Boris's deal. Because if not, I think they're in for the mother of all interviews yeah. without coffee. Well, well, let's not forget, though, that that's what's happened in the past. You know, you know every Conservative MP who was in the last Parliament promised to uh, honour the result of the referendum, and several yeah, of them but, didn't no, do no, so. No, I, I, get, I, I get that, Mike, and I did say in my earlier remarks, you know, Lib Dem, Labour, and unfortunately some Tory yeah. MP. So you're perfectly right to pull me up on it. But what I'm saying is, having been through three years of this nausea... And we've made absolutely clear to every candidate that if they win, they are expected to vote to take us out of the European Union. So there is absolutely no ambiguity whatsoever. And some of those people who were former Tory MPs are standing for re-election. According to this poll, none of them will win. But, you know, I'm the last person 
to advocate any kind of complacency. We've got two weeks to go and we don't want to take our foot off the pedal. And, you know, I would want to wake up on the morning of the 13th of December uh, living in uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, I, I'm perfectly happy with uh, the independent republic of Mike Graham. <laughs> I don't want the Marxist republic of Jeremy Corbyn. Well, everybody... And I don't think anybody else does either. No, I mean, I was going to say, well, everybody's happy with the independent republic of Mike Graham. That's probably slightly over-egging the pudding. What do you make of the Institute for Fiscal Studies today? They're, they're being very busy this election. Today they've come out and said that neither Labour nor the Tories have got credible plans to manage public finances. Well, <clears throat> I mean, they, they've had a go at both of us to some extent. I think it's fair to say they've had a much bigger go at Labour. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, by, by a country mile, re really. I mean, that whole, you know, this 1.2 trillion spending plan that, oh, by the way, no one who earns less than 80k is going to pay a penny to all, oh, unless, of course, you're married, for right. instance, and so on and so on. I mean, I think that's already completely un. Raveled. Um, you know, the IFS are there to hold politicians to account. But I think the reason genuinely that our plans are a lot more credible is because we managed to reduce the deficit we inherited in 2010 from 10% of GDP then to 1% of GDP now, which is a lot lower than many other EU countries, by the way. Now, that has involved some extremely difficult decisions. I've seen that in my own constituency. So, you know, none of that has been done lightly, but because we've managed to get public spending genuinely back under control, Mike, again, by having to take very difficult decisions, I think, you know, we've got a degree of credibility on this that, you know, that basically, you know, the Labour Party just don't have. And, and my plea to the electorate would be, they nearly bankrupted us last time. For God's sake, don't hand back the car keys to the people who crashed the car. Mark, thanks very much indeed. Mark Francois there, uh, who is a Conservative Party candidate, of course, for Rayleigh and Wickford. Uh, amongst the other candidates, Paul Richard Thurgood from the Green Party, David Flack from the Labour Party, Ron Tindall uh, from the Liberal Democrats. Uh, this is Talk Radio. Give us a call. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, John says this about the NHS. The Americans are the world's largest drug makers and 95% of drugs sold there are cheaper than they are in the EU. So how are the drugs going to be dearer if we source more from them and less from the European Union? Uh, and that's quite a good point that, uh, that is very well made. I think the problem for uh, anyone trying to decipher what it is that uh, the N- NHS is going to be suffering from uh, is that there is no clear statement, really, from anyone about which bits of it are going to be sold off. Let's talk to Greg, uh, who's in Edinburgh and wants to talk about manifestos. Hi, Greg. Yeah, good morning. Morning. Thank you for calling. What would you like to say? Well, I was just to make, to, just to go over a couple of points that you'd raised during your, 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 your talk with Mr Francois yeah. and then previously with your previous thing, uh, your previous guest. It was about that people, I think, are just sick of of the entire political system in this country yeah. and, and that they're sick of of MPs, they're sick of politicians, uh, and you mentioned, you know, about uh, the Brexit party being slightly amateurish yeah. in, in in the way they were going about things. But that's the, that's the point. It's because they're not politicians. A lot of the candidates are just people from other walks of life that have decided to get involved, and that's and. And in contrast to that, you mentioned about the the, the manifestos mm. being uncosted being, you know, about planting trees and that nobody has an idea how, how, how they, they just pick figures out of the air. Yeah. And that's because they themselves have no clue what they're putting in their manifestos. I mean, for example, the last Conservative manifesto was written by two people, both of whom had had no contact with the real world. Mm. And, and the Labour the Labour manifesto is the same. You know, it's written by two workers for the party who've always worked for the party. Yeah, they've, and I suspect no they've, th- probably, they've probably done some kind of, you know, um, focus group activity where they've asked people what's important to them and then they go, oh, look, a lot of people think this yeah. is important, let's do that. Yeah, but, and, and, but sadly, Mr Francois there, he highlighted exactly the problem. He mentioned the fact that he'd been up in the northeast of England yeah. campaigning on behalf of his researcher. Yeah. So he goes from university, researcher, MP writing a manifesto and he never has any contact with business, with working in the public sector, uh, and that's what people are sick of. Mm. MPs and politicians who live in a complete bubble and have and and, and you know, don't really have any idea of what life's in the country yeah. like. I mean it's the age of the of the sort of professional politician, isn't it? That's yeah. what you're saying. Because there that's, was a time the there was a time when people went into politics after having done something else. Exactly. Mm. And now you get so many young people in the, you know, in the, you know, the um, that you want everyone to be 70 and 60 or whatever. <laughs> but you want people to have actually lived yes. and worked in business, worked in the health service, worked in a factory and, and know what they're talking about when it's, well, I don't know how many bricks it takes to build a house. Right. So, all right, let's, make, let's build a million houses. You know, it's just, and then that's why people get disillusioned mm. because they write these, they write the, the manifestos, and they, they can't keep to their promises. Well, of course they can't. I mean, imagine trying to plant enough trees to cover Wales. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. 
I mean, that's it. But it sounds, it sounds good. And, it thinks, and, and the, the, the thing is, they think we're stupid. Yeah. And that's the insulting thing. And that's why people are really, really hacked off with politicians. Uh, that they're the liars and they're the, the incompetents, but they, they think we're the stupid ones. Well, I know. That's the point. And in fact, Boris Johnson's been criticised quite heavily this morning because he has yet still uh, to agree to a time when he's going to go into Andrew Neil's studio and be uh, interviewed by Andrew Neil in the same way that Nicola Sturgeon was, in the same way uh, that Jeremy Corbyn was, and in the same way that Joe Swinson is going to be as well. Greg, thanks for your call. Let's talk to Simon, uh, who's in Alpington. Hi, Simon. Hi, good morning, Mike. Morning. Just my um, two pennies worth on okay. this poll that came out yesterday. Um, reassuring to see it, but I was reminded this morning about your call with Katie Perry a few days back, where yeah. she's saying, actually, if you're in the lead, you don't necessarily want this poll coming out because it does lead to complacency. Yes. Uh, and also, I think as well, that's something to really rally the Labour activists around and to get out there. I think there will be, there is a big danger of complacency in this vote. A lot of us thinking, well, I kind of want to go this way or the other, but what's really the point if this is, is this going to be the outcome anyway? Yeah. I mean, I think um, people are generally speaking quite savvy about what their sort of situation is vis-a-vis, you know, if it's a if it's a very strong Tory seat, they might not go out and vote because they might not feel they need to. Um, and if it is a very strong Tory seat or a very strong Labour seat, chances are it will stay that way. But the trouble is, you never really know in an election like this. I guess you don't know, no. And I think that's why, like, let's say um, Boris does come home with a stonky majority on the 13th. I'd be relieved... But I won't necessarily be celebrating mm. because I feel that we're still going to have the two-party system where a lot of people do feel that, you know, their vote does get wasted. And then my question would be, well, who is actually going to keep the Conservative Party conservative? Because it's been fat for the last, you know, maybe five, six more years. It's mm. been Farage and UKIP. If you take this um, Australian-style immigration policy... That's a UKIP policy. Yeah. Now, if Boris is promising it now to get the Brexit Party vote... Well, let's say the Brexit Party is taken out, which I think it will be on the 13th. Who's actually going to hold him to that? Um, so that, that, I guess that is my concern. And the other sort of final point I make as well, I feel as well with Labour, I feel like they've gone to the breaking emergency glass mm. way too early and it yes. shows their desperation. Well, I um, think that business yesterday, it seemed to me, I don't know if you felt the same way, that, that, that you're exactly right, that this was the kind of the, uh, the Trump card, if you'll pardon the expression, that they suddenly pulled out of the pack and went, right, have a go at this then, because uh, then you'll, at least you'll stop talking about all the anti-Semitism in the Andrew Neal interview. Definitely. And do you know what, Mike? Corbyn's on stage waving a, par- waving a piece of paper saying, look what I found. And yeah. it says on it 2017 to 2018. Yeah. Shows how pathetic it is. I really think on this one, I think it's actually a disgraceful strategy from Labour that they're saying to people who, uh, some people on low incomes, they're relying on their drugs week by week and their weekly appointments with their doctors. And they're putting the fear of God into them saying this may be taken away from you. Yeah. Um, I think it's a completely wrong strategy. As I say, people should stop getting so triggered by the big red bus and actually be outraged at this. I hope in many years to come, Labour will hold their head in shame over this strategy. Well, let's see how it works out for them because it doesn't even uh, play a part in this particular poll which is in the paper today uh, because it will probably play a part in the polls at the weekend and we'll see whether or not the interview uh, that Jeremy Corbyn gave to um, Andrew Neil and as I say, uh, Boris Johnson is yet to do that one and he's being uh, accused of running scared because he may not do it. He may choose not 
not to sit in uh, with Andrew Neil, which would, I think, uh, be a mistake on his part. Uh, but also the business of this NHS document, in which the NHS, in 451 pages, is only mentioned four times... Um, we'll see in the poll at the weekend whether that has backfired on Jeremy Corbyn or not. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're here until one o'clock when Matthew Wright takes over and I'm delighted to say that we are now joined by Rebecca Perfect from Love the Revision. Uh, which is an Instagram account, Rebecca, which yes. aims, it says here, to make your home look lovely for less. Well, that is the aim, yes, and I do, do try. you do do some very nice little videos. I've seen some of them on yeah. your Instagram account about things that people can do around the house. You'd, you'd probably make an absolute uh, um, fortune changing my house around because not, <laughs> not not the one that where my kids and their mother live, but the one in London, which is just where I am when I'm working because it's, it's a bit of a sort of bachelor pad, really. Well, that's cool. Yeah. You know, that'd be a challenge, a yeah. bachelor pad. It what would, would you like, to make it more feminine? <laughs> um, I don't know, really, not particularly, no. I just, I've got lots of piles of things. Right, you know? so you need storage. So I probably could do with more storage, okay. yeah, but I yeah. can never be bothered actually organising it. So well, I think we could do some, like, Ikea hacks for yeah. you, things like that. Something you know? like that, yeah. 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 Now, today we're going to talk about houseplants, because I remember seeing a story a couple of weeks ago in which it said that um, even though people would quite like to put houseplants inside their houses because it's supposed to change the atmosphere and change the environment. Yeah, oxygenate. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. actually do that. Oh, that's disappointing. But I don't know whether that matters, does it? Because, I mean, I, see, I can't grow anything in my place. I mean, no. I, I had a cactus once for a while, and even that wouldn't grow. I, I had a funny conversation with a friend the other day who was equally as plant-obsessed as I am, <laughs> and she was devastated because she went away for a week. Uh, this was during the, half, the recent, most recent half-term, right. and came back, and her entire plant collection was infested with some weird spider. Oh, God. And so she was like, how have we even done this? Right. You know, there's nothing that could have caused this. And so Ooh. then that is hundreds of pounds gone down the drain right. all of a sudden and she has to kind of start again. But... I mean, I have, over the time that I've been alive, been given responsibility for watering plants and I've usually managed to do that without yeah. killing Good. them all off in other places that, uh, that I wasn't actually living. But I just can't grow anything in my own place. I don't know what, the, what it's about. Well, atmosphere, I suppose, whether or not it's getting enough light. I used to Are you smoke watering? a lot. I well, don't that smoke might be, anymore. That might be something to do with it. They might <laughs> They might be non-smoking plants. Yes. <laughs> Although there are probably plants that you can get that would probably somehow um, eat the smoke, wouldn't they? Well, quite possibly. I, there's I, surely there's, there's a man-eating films. plant out there somewhere as well, isn't there? Yes, there is. There <laughs> yeah. is, yeah, in the jungle somewhere. So, I mean, what is this new trend all about? Why why, why are more people getting more houseplants? Well, I think, you know, in terms of stylistically, I think in your home, you want to add little accents. Maybe it's a, it's a cost-effective way to kind of upgrade your home. So, yeah. for me, I always think a little bit of greenery is all, goes a long way. So, I've just renovated a rental flat. Uh, in terms of putting it on the market, when I wanted to get the photos done with my estate agent, I made sure that I brought some plants in to style it, real and faux, right. to be honest, because a little bit of draping plants in the bathroom can really add a little pop of colour there, okay. here and there. I got a lovely palm that filled an, uh, an empty space in the kitchen, and right. it just made that whole place feel more homely. There's something about plants uh -huh. that works in that way. Flowers... I think are lovely, but you know, you, you put a vase of flowers out, it will last for a week, that's great. Plants, they, they start to smell bad as well, don't yeah, they? Yeah, and the water looks a little bit murky mm. and all that kind of stuff. Whereas green green plants, which is what we're seeing a real rise in, like uh, mother of... Uh, 
mother, uh, mother-in-law's tongue uh, plants. We've got lots of aloes, loads of those kind of plants that are easy to maintain. Right. Cheese plants, for instance, they're huge, make yes. a massive impact. They were a big thing in the 80s, cheese. Everybody yeah. had a cheese plant in the 80s. Well, we're seeing a really big resurgence of 70s and 80s. You know, last year and the year before, we saw macrame as a big kind yeah. of comeback craft that right. everyone was doing. And with that, what we came with macrame were hanging plants. Mm. So, you know, if you've got some of those hang- hanging planters at home, you might want to start filling them with your plants. And I've seen quite They're a lot... They're difficult in... to water, though, aren't they? Because if you water them, doesn't the water come out of the bottom? Not if you've got a special little tray underneath. Well, if There's it's hanging... Little... Yeah, I've still you see, got one. this is one of the problems. I can't envisage it, you see. <laughs> I can't quite see it. I'll tell you what I, I have I need had. to come around and do a, no, a, do. Do a makeover. I'll tell you what I have had, and people have been making fun of me for it since I mentioned it. I've had... I bought... One of my kids came up last Christmas, and we decided we'd just buy a little Christmas tree um, while we oh, were, yeah. you know, spending a couple of nights there. Bit so early. We bought, this was, no, this was last, like, <laughs> oh, this last time year. last year, Okay, right? fine, yeah, yeah. Um, and then when Christmas came and went, I thought to myself, it's only about two feet tall, this thing, and it sits on a table in the living room. Yeah. I'm just going to leave it up because I would have to make room for it in the wardrobe, right? So I just right. left it up and I didn't, leave, I didn't leave the lights on it. I just left it without lights and it's been sitting there all year. So I've, it's been And it's still of, okay? So, well, it's plastic. Oh, right, okay, you know, fine. Yeah, that's right? fine, okay. So, um, so, I've, so I've now switched the lights back on because now it's Christmas again. <laughs> And you know, it's it's not. It's been quite nice. And it's a really quick and easy way to get Christmas ready, right? It is. Yeah. And I've got. I've wrapped a couple of presents, put them under there. He's coming back again. I think next. Oh, you're efficient. Yeah. And um, <laughs> you know, so that so so in a way, you could almost have. And every time I looked at it, I thought it's like a plant in there. Yeah. House. Oh, that's People good. People are now I'm thinking impressed. I've gone completely insane. I think. A little bit. Yeah. I'm humouring you slightly. <laughs> I know. But, I mean, you know, it doesn't make sense, does it, to make to make space in, in a cupboard to put something away just because it's a Christmas tree. Well, do you know what? I've, I've heard something really interesting in terms of uh, an eco thing with trees and also money saving in yeah. some respects. People are renting Christmas trees now. Really? Yes. So you can go and you can go to a Christmas tree yard, shall right. we say, and you can rent like a it. Farm. A farm, yes. You can rent your tree and then when you're done with it, instead of throwing it out and being collected by the local council, right. you can take it back to that farm right. and they will replant it so that next year it can be used again. These are real. Why don't you just plant it in your own garden and then you can just keep well, using it? Well, I did it. do that one year did and you? it did survive. Does that work? <laughs> yeah, it does really? work, yeah. Because, I mean, what about the fake plants thing you mentioned? Because uh, you, you, you were saying you can use fake plants if you want, but yeah. are, they, are they now made of other things other than plastic? I, I, I'm not so sure on that. I, to be honest, they're probably made of lots of different things depending on the style of plant to get the look yeah. and the effect. For me, one of the benefits of faux plants is if you're not very green-fingered, as mm. I'm not. So I always try and get those... I look up uh, plants that are really hard to kill, yeah. <laughs> first and right. foremost. So aloe vera's up there as a big one. You can, okay. not, you can barely try and kill that. Uh, but if I do need to get something that is... you know, There are a string of pearls plants that mm-hmm. you can get, those lovely hanging ones. Oh, but yeah. I've tried to keep them, and I, I kill them every time, and it costs me a fortune. So yeah. I thought, do you know what? I'm just on those type of things. I'm going to get. I'm and going also, to the faux ones are going to be less messy as well. Yes, aren't they? yeah, less earthy. maintenance. Or if you've got a pet or something that knocks them over, that's yeah. not good either. Absolutely. So, for me, plants make a big difference in whatever space you're in. So if you have, um, you know, you like to keep things tidied away and quite sparse and just, you know, very clean and clinical, just a tiny little plant that is positioned and styled correctly, maybe on a kitchen island Mm. or on a dining table, can just add a little bit of pizzazz. And I think that's why we're seeing not only more florists popping up, but we're also seeing a lot more dedicated plant shops that literally 
focus on green plants, yeah. you know, because they're very on trend at the moment. So you can do lots of different things with those. And those are the ones that I've, I've noticed in South London. We're seeing some Dulwich, Brixton, Streatham, those kind of areas. Mm. We're suddenly seeing dedicated plant shops uh showing up. Okay, and where are you with buying things like, um, you know, the old coriander plant uh, or the, um, uh, or the <laughs> parsley cooking. plant? Yeah. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you can put them in the kitchen yes. and you can also use them. You yes, know. yeah. But they don't seem to grow back, do they? No. Uh, so I, I did try once. I realised I'm not that good a cook. I'm not as, as good a cook well, and baker as you, Mike. Listen, so. well, you know, we've had this conversation <laughs> earlier, haven't we? <laughs> we have indeed. I'm looking forward to next week when I'm you're baking I'm not sure something. I'm going to have time to, I mean, there's election on, you know. I haven't got oh, time to start it? baking scones or something for you. You know, but we shall see. It will keep us going through the mm, election stuff. Yeah. Um, so those kind of things, again, you know, they're a nice, cheap, easy way to bring a bit of greenery in there. If yeah. you know, a nice sprig of rosemary or things like that, or some yeah. parsley will fill up a it's window a nice sill. Scent as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm. A mint plant. Right. If you can put that. I mean, there up. are some people who grow things like tomatoes in a window box. I mean, yes. I remember when I lived in New York when people were kind of like, you know, they didn't really have any outdoor space, but if they had a somewhere to put a window box, they would grow stuff in it. Yeah, and there's loads of really nice ways to. Kind kind of dress all of that you know you can be a bit crafty and yeah. just make a really nice kind of little window box you know even if you just have a, a little balcony you know you live in a, in a flat and you've just got that space having little um hooks on the side of your plant pots yeah. that can just have that it just you know what whether or not it has health benefits or not who knows at the end of the day it definitely adds a positive spin it, it makes just makes you feel you, better it does make you feel better and that's yeah. what it's all about isn't of course it? in the end yeah rebecca perfect thank you very much <laughs> you're indeed. very welcome uh, love the revision is the name of the instagram account go check it out uh rebecca will be back I dare say next week uh, with Julia Hartley Brewer uh, telling her all about the movies to watch as well Uh, we'll be back tomorrow at 10 o'clock across the UK online and on DAB the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app and if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio